Welcome to FPC Meridian Sermon Podcast. We pray that God's hand would be upon you as you listen to the faithful preaching of his word. Let's begin. This is the series Journey to the Cross, the daily events surrounding Holy Week. This is part six and we're at Friday, a day of passion. My sources include Rich Hansen's The Week on Which the World Turns, William Hendrickson's commentary on Matthew from the New Testament commentary, a message by a message by Steve May entitled Mia Culpa. And so this is the reading from Matthew chapters 27. We'll stay in that chapter pretty much the whole message. Uh, We'll start reading at verse 11. This is the word of God. Matthew 27 verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priest and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a a prisoner chosen by the crowd At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Christ or the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead of an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us. And on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you for this, your day. And we ask on this Palm Sunday that you would give us grace as we think through the day of passion that you endured on our behalf on what is called Good Friday. Help us, Lord, to have understanding and touch our hearts that we might hear you today as you speak to each of us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Actor Jim Caviezel, who played the part of Jesus in the movie The Passion of the Christ, he actually suffered during filming. He was struck by lightning more than once. Carrying the cross through the streets of Jerusalem, he actually fell, separating a shoulder. 
the harsh Italian weather, grueling days on the set, hours in the makeup chair every single day contributed to his battles with pneumonia and even hypothermia during the brutal whipping scene. And I want to just tell you that my wife and I watched the movie again last night. The Jewish people were kept prohibited from ever giving someone more than 40 lashes. 40 was the limit according to the law in Deuteronomy. Yet a lot of times what they would do is one less. So usually it was 39 lashes, which we know the Apostle Paul received from the Jews. The Romans had no such law. If you watch the film, you will see that it was great sport for them to whip Jesus, to beat him mercilessly. They almost killed him. And so I want you to think, we think about the cross, we think about the fact that Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday. But Jesus suffered long before he got on that cross. And so Jim Caviezel, during that brutal whipping scene, the actors playing the Roman guards accidentally missed the board on his back that was protecting his back. They missed that board several times, causing severe pain and wounds. During the filming of the crucifixion, Caviezel hung on a cross buffeted by stiff, cold winds. The cross swayed as much as three feet in either direction, aggravating his shoulder injury. That was when Caviezel wondered if he had made a mistake. Here's what he says. He said, for the first time, I started questioning whether I had done the right thing in taking this part. More important, I wondered whether it, be, it would even be possible to finish the film. I actually had the thought that this cross is killing me. <laughs> it wasn't funny at the time, he says, but he said, I was in pain and I was freezing. And then he said something happened. He said, it's very hard to explain except to say that it might be what an athlete goes through when he seems to be thoroughly spent, thoroughly beaten, thoroughly defeated, and then somehow... He finds the strength within him to overcome and to win. I hope you'll take the time this week to watch that movie, The Passion of the Christ. If you have Amazon Prime, it's free. And I hope that you will take the time to watch it. You know, when The Passion of the Christ came out in 2004, I remember critics of the film who hadn't seen it at the time were calling the movie incendiary and anti-Semitic. When questioned about that, producer Mel Gibson said this, This is not a Christian versus a Jewish thing. Looking at Christ's crucifixion, I look first at my own culpability in that. The word he used, culpability, means responsibility in a negative sense, as in guilt or fault, like the Latin phrase mea culpa, which translated means my fault. Or my bad. So Gibson was saying, I am responsible for the death of Christ. I am responsible for the crucifixion because it was my sins that sent him to the cross. We know two things from Roman history about death on a cross. Number one, it was barbaric. It was barbaric. Jesus knew that it was the Father's plan that he would die in the most humiliating and painful way possible that could ever be conceived, and that would be on a cross. The cross was, 
was used typically for foreign terrorists, for notorious criminals, and for rebellious slaves. It was painful because large nails severed the tendons and then splintered the bones. The body sagged. The weight of the victim's body hanging by his wrist caused his joints to dislocate as he tried to push up on his feet to breathe. Hour after hour, it became more difficult to breathe until ultimately your death is by suffocation. But the agony that Jesus endured on the cross was a whole other agony in that he suffered abandonment as God the Father turned his back on the Son, according to Matthew 27, verse 46. The price that Jesus paid for us, you need to know it was staggering. It was also shameful, not only barbaric, it was, it was shameful, the death that he died. Being crucified, crucified is humiliating because you're stripped of all your clothes. So imagine the fact that you are naked. You are naked as you die on a cross. In fact, the scripture tells us that soldiers threw dice to, for his clothing. Winner takes all. Psalm 22, verse 18 says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that prophecy in Psalm 22 was fulfilled when they actually gambled at the foot of the cross, these soldiers, for the clothing of Christ. Someone once said this, Jesus was falsely accused. He was illegally incarcerated. He was wrongfully convicted. And he was unjustly executed. And for that... The cross of Christ is shameful. Yet it, it wasn't that Jesus found himself trapped in a, in a way that he could not escape. I mean, they said to him while he was on the cross, if you're truly the son of God, come down from that cross. He wasn't put to death against his will. Now, Jesus said this in John 10, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. The cross of Christ, as shameful and as barbaric as it was, it really is a mystery. And if you want to place blame, you can certainly lay it at the feet of Pontius Pilate. John chapter 19 tells about John's version of those events on Good Friday. And John 19 verse 10 and 11 says this. This is when Pilate was trying to engage Jesus in conversation. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered in verse 11, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. <laughs> I wonder what Pilate thought when Jesus said that. He's basically saying, Pilate, you're, you're really not in charge. You, you think you are. You're not in charge. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed you over to me, handed me over to you, is guilty of a greater sin. I mean, yes, you want to place the blame. You can certainly lay it at the feet of Pontius Pilate, but you can also lay it at the feet primarily of the Jewish leaders who were determined to put him to death. But in terms of Pilate, according to the history books, by the time Pilate faced Jesus, he was, he was in hot water with Rome. 
The emperor was tired of Pilate's inability to control the Jewish masses. He faced the risk of losing his job as governor, possibly losing his life, for the political crimes that he had committed. So Pilate, at this time, was desperate to earn the favor of these Jewish religious leaders, and even more desperate to impress his superiors in Rome. Verse 13 says, Pilate asked, Don't you hear the testimony that they are bringing against you? That's Matthew 27, verse 13. You see, the Jews had formulated an accusation against him, and it indicated that they accused him of being the leader of some seditious insurrection, troubling the people, stirring them up, cultivating a revolution. They then accused Jesus of forbidding people to pay taxes to Caesar. And then third and finally, of claiming to be a king. Claiming to be a king, which made him a rival in terms of sovereignty against Pilate. Actually, not just Pilate, but against the Herods, and also even against Caesar himself. The Romans, they weren't going to carry out a trial against Jesus for some religious issue. So the Jewish leaders had to manufacture a Roman issue. So they tried to convince Pilate that Jesus was, in fact, an insurrectionist rebel who was vying for the throne of Rome. Of course, all of this was a lie. All of this was a lie. But the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus dead to the point that in John's gospel, they said this. I I just can't even imagine this, the Jewish leaders saying this. But they said this in John 19, verse 15. We have no king but Caesar. The gospel, the gospels tell us that one of the fears that sparked the religious authorities to have Jesus arrested and killed was a fear of the Romans. I mean, they were a dominated people by the Romans. They were afraid of how the occupying army of Rome would view this popular young preacher and how they might react. You see, 40 years after the crucifixion of Jesus in 70 A.D., their worst fears were realized when the Roman armies destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And when Jesus prophesied about that event, he lays the blame at the feet of those who rejected him. And while that seems harsh, it goes back to this. What happens tomorrow reflects the choices we make today. What happens tomorrow reflects the choices that we make today. And on that Friday afternoon, 2,000 years ago, Jerusalem chose to reject the one who had come to bring them peace. Hang on to that thought while we look at three lessons. Three lessons this morning in your outline. The first is the people's choice. The people's choice. From verse 15. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. You know, a lot like the president pardoning a turkey on Thanksgiving. Only instead of a turkey, each year the governor would pardon a criminal. He wouldn't choose just any criminal. He wouldn't choose the one that was advantageous to to him. He would actually let the people choose. So it was the people's choice. It was a show of goodwill. It was a way for him to endear himself to the people to settle down the crowds. It came down to two choices. Did you notice the names? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ. Yeah, they both had the same name. Listen to verses 16 and 17. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. 
So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah or the Christ? John tells us in his gospel that Barabbas was a robber. Mark and Luke tell us that he was guilty of insurrection and murder in the course of a rebellion against Rome. So basically, basically Jesus Barabbas was a terrorist. The chief priests and the scribes had nothing but contempt for terrorists among their own people. And yet, when they were presented with a choice between Jesus, Jesus the Christ, and this notorious criminal, this notorious terrorist, their hostility toward Jesus was so great that they screamed for the release of Jesus Barabbas. Right, this is another twist. The name Barabbas can mean, and probably did mean, Son of the Father. <laughs> Son of the Father. Think of the irony. They cried out for the freedom of this one, Jesus Barabbas, Son of the Father, rather than Jesus the Christ, who truly was the Son of the Father. So basically, Pilate says, Do you want me to release to you Jesus, the terrorist, or Jesus, the Savior of the world? And since Pilate saw no guilt in Jesus the Messiah, he believed that he had basically outsmarted the people and that surely they would, they would choose Jesus the Christ over this terrorist. Feeling pretty good about himself, he, he posed the question and he waited for their response in verse 21. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. And Pilate was in shock. Are you serious? You want me to release the terrorist? And then here's the question of the day. And what shall I do with what shall I do with this one called Jesus, who is the Messiah? And that's a question we all have to answer. What will you do with this Jesus who is called Christ? They answered, Crucify him. Crucify him. There's nothing any worse than a mob. There's nothing any worse than mob rule. I mean, it is true. A lot of these same people were the ones who were throwing palm branches on the streets just five days before and saying, Hosanna to the King. And yet, on Good Friday, they called for his crucifixion. These same people. Pilate asked, why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him, crucify him. History tells us that when Titus, the Roman general, who led the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., was offered the victor's wreath, he declined the honor, saying that he had simply served as an instrument for the wrath of God against Jerusalem. So understand that Jerusalem becomes an analogy for those who would reject Jesus the Christ. I think of John's gospel in chapter 1. He came to that which was his own, his own things, his own creation. And his own people rejected him. They esteemed him not. So there's the people's choice. The second lesson is God's choice. God's choice. Isaiah chapter 53 is a tremendous chapter in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet Isaiah prophesied 700 years before the time of Christ 
But if you read Isaiah 53, it reads like a biography of the life of Jesus at the cross. Verse 10 says, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Now, just that statement is is difficult for us to understand. I mean, Peter, months after the crucifixion of Christ on what is called Pentecost Sunday, he says this to the people as he's preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter says this, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. That's the first part of the verse. And listen to the second part of the verse. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. You've got both right there. You have the sovereign plan and foreknowledge of God that this was his will. To cause Jesus to suffer on our behalf. But the culpability still belongs with those Jewish leaders. Who put him to death on the cross. Our text goes on to tell us that there was a lot happening when Jesus died on that cross. More than simply an innocent man being put to death. Verse 46 says about three in the afternoon. Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here Jesus was crying out in anguish because for the first time and and really the only time in eternity, the Father was separating himself from the Son. Why? Because as the prophet Habakkuk declares in chapter 1, verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. You see, during those three hours of darkness, something, something tragic and yet something wonderful happened. It's an incredible mystery, so incomprehensible that even Martin Luther couldn't understand it, the great Protestant reformer of the 16th century. He was said to have gone into seclusion for a long time to try to figure this out, try to understand it, and he said he came away just as confused as, he, as when he started. But all I can say is what the scriptures imply, that when Jesus was on that cross in the middle of the day, the wrath of God was poured out upon the sinless Son of God who became a sinner and sin for us sinners who believe. So imagine Jesus on that cross becoming sin for us. I want you to think about this. Isaiah puts it this way in chapter 53, verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The sin of us all was laid upon Jesus on that cross. And so the Father laid on Jesus all of our transgressions, all of our sins, all of our iniquities. But Jesus not only bore our sins, he actually became sin on our behalf in order that those who trust in him might be saved from the penalty of our sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a very unique and powerful verse when it says it this way. Verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
so that the totally righteous Christ was made sinful so that the totally sinful you and I could be made righteous. So we have the the people's choice. We have God's choice. And then the third and final lesson of the morning is our choice. Verse 45 of Luke tell, of Matthew tells us this, Matthew 27, from noon until about three in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. You remember when Jesus was born? Let's go back to the advent. Remember when Jesus was born, there was this supernatural brightness that filled the night sky surrounding Bethlehem. Luke explains that the glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds as they were keeping watch over their flocks in the fields. John would later speak of Jesus as the light of men and as the true light which enlightens every man. Jesus even spoke of himself as the light of the world. But on that first Good Friday, what is described was not glorious light, but devastating darkness. Noon is usually the brightest time of the day, but on this particular day, darkness fell upon the earth for three hours. Now, keep in mind, the first three hours on the cross are filled with lots of activity. I mean, the movement of people, the sound of voices. But when the darkness came, all the movement, all the movement ceased. The sound of voices mocking Jesus is no longer heard during this darkness. During the first three hours, the chief priests were busy complaining about the the superscription over the cross, which read, this is the king of the Jews. And they said they wanted it changed to read, he claimed to be the king of the Jews. But when the darkness covered the earth, no more activity, no more voices. But it's scary at that point, because then there was an earthquake, and the temple curtain was torn in two. What's the point of the darkness? Darkness throughout Scripture is always associated with judgment. The Bible makes it clear that the cross is the great divider between heaven and earth, between heaven and hell. Christ endured the darkness of the cross so that we could be saved from that outer darkness that we know from the Scriptures called hell. And this is where it comes down to your choice, my choice. Things that happen tomorrow are affected by the choices we make today. Gospel Coalition is is doing a great thing this week during Holy Week. They're asking all of us as believers in Jesus Christ to share a video testimony on social media during this Holy Week. With the hashtag, Jesus changed my life. And then to attach a link to our church's live stream for Easter Sunday. And the point they're trying to make is, in the midst of this pandemic, people are more open spiritually than they have been probably in their lifetime. This pandemic, the good part of it is that people are starting to turn to God. People are starting to ask questions about faith. It's a good time for you to share the gospel, is what Gospel Coalition, our friends, are saying there. And I hope that you'll do that. If you have any questions about how to do that, you can talk to Chip or Katie Cowsert, and they'll help you through that. But listen to this testimony from Italy. 
Julian Urban, 38 years old, a doctor in Lombardy, Italy. He shares this. Never in my darkest nightmares did I imagine that I could see and experience what has been going on here in our hospital these past three weeks. The nightmare is flowing on. The river is getting bigger and bigger. The beginning, some of them came, then dozens and then hundreds, and now we are no longer doctors. We have become sorters on the conveyor belt, and we decide who lives and who should be sent home to die, even though all these people have paid Italian taxes all of their lives. Until two weeks ago, my colleagues and I were atheists. That was normal because we are doctors, and we have learned that science excludes the presence of God. I always laughed, he says, about my parents going to church. A 75-year-old pastor came to us nine days ago. He was a kind man. He had serious breathing difficulties, but he had a Bible with him, and we were impressed that he read it to the dying and held their hands. We were all tired, discouraged, mentally and physically exhausted when we had time to listen to him. Now we have to admit, we as human beings have reached our limits. We cannot do more. And every day, more and more people die, and we are exhausted. We have two colleagues who have died, and others have been infected. We have recognized that where what man finds no longer possible, he needs God. And we started asking him for help when we had a few minutes. We talked to each other. And we cannot believe that as strong atheists, we are now seeking for our peace every day and asking the Lord to help us with resistance so that we can take care of the sick. Yesterday, the 75-year-old pastor died who had managed to bring us a peace despite our condition and difficulties. We're all exhausted, destroyed, despite the fact that we no longer hope to find it, that peace I am happy to have returned to God while I am surrounded by the suffering and death of my fellow human beings. On this Palm Sunday, in which we talk about Good Friday, the cross was a scene of immense divine judgment, where the sins of sinners were poured out on the sinless, perfect Son of God. He was put to death in our place. What love that Jesus would take our place on a cross and suffer as horribly as he did. Which leads us on this Palm Sunday as we ponder the passion and the sufferings of Jesus Christ. We face a choice. You cannot simply dismiss Dismiss the death of Christ as insignificant. You must also choose to answer the question posed by Pontius Pilate. What shall I do then with this Jesus who is called Christ? That brings us to our verse of the week, which is Mark 8, verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your journey to the cross. We thank you for the hope that we have of life eternal through you, Lord Jesus, because of your death on the cross. 
your resurrection from the dead. And Lord, as we begin this holy week, I pray that you would capture our attention. That you will help us to remember all that you endured on our behalf. You were innocent, yet we are guilty. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone, the sound of my voice, who has never trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, I pray that you will touch their heart. And I pray that you would call them to salvation, Lord. Thank you for your call that is going out all across this world during this pandemic where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus, Lord, you said, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. My peace I give unto you. And so, Lord Jesus, in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of fear, in the midst of panic, in the midst of people that are afraid and worried about their future, I pray, thanking you, Lord, that our future as believers in Jesus Christ is in your hands. And so I pray for any who have not trusted Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives, that they will today, they will today choose to put Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord of their lives, and Lord for all eternity. We pray all this with thanksgiving in the name of Christ our Lord, who is the Messiah. Amen.